Greetings and welcome all to the Men of Sorrow's Finding Joy podcast. I am William Lloyd, a man of sorrow. Our podcast is committed to supporting and encouraging men to process their grief in order to heal and return to joyful living in the midst of great sadness. Although it is directed toward men, all are welcome to tune in and participate. The reason for Men of Sorrows Finding Joy is geared toward men is the fact that in most grief support groups that I attended after the death of my son, men were noticeably absent and one of the often heard reports of the wives, mothers, or sisters about the men in the family was they are angry and they keep busy. So we want to help facilitate that and be grief companions. Today's podcast is with my fellow grief companions, Greg Stutz and Dan Duddy. We talk about grieving while having all kinds of responsibilities on our plate, namely being a husband and a father, a friend, an employee. Um, we talk about the Enneagram a bit. We, we imagine heaven. Um, we share our hearts with each other and our audience the best we know how. Without further delay, here is the conversation with Dan and Greg. All right, as I said in the in the introduction, we're here with Dan Duddy and Greg Stutz. Um, we are men of sorrows, finding joy. I didn't show you guys, but I got this T-shirt. There's a uh, radio station down here called the Joy FM, mm. and it says, helping you find joy, and it has a microphone. Mm. And my, my mother-in-law got it from the radio. She saw it, and she thought that would be perfect. Sure. I like it. Yeah, yeah. That's, who, that's who we are. We're going to talk today about... You know, I know that there was, I, I think, Greg, it was Will. He he passed away a year ago to 13th, 14th? Yeah, Will, w yeah, Will passed away uh, February 13th last year. So we just passed the one-year mark. And what's it been, Dan, for you? Wasn't it February? Uh, Francis uh, passed away February 8th. Uh, this was the 10-year anniversary of his yeah. passing. Mm -hmm. 10, 10 wow. 2014. Yeah. 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 Greg, how was it for everybody? For the, the what, did the one year date bring anything up, or did it come and go? It's yeah, different we, for everybody. Uh, Will's tombstone came in only like about two weeks, three weeks ago, maybe. And so, um, you know, that was you, you just kind of get it. Uh, I don't know, Eric. I think just got a phone message or an email from the, you know. Uh, funeral home saying, hey, his tombstone's been placed. So it was almost a year before that, you know, it, it, it came in from overseas. You know, that, and and then um, Erica and I went and gave blood. We donated blood on Will's birthday. And, uh, you know, just in his honor, because he had used so many blood products while he was sick. We've both made a, a point of, you know, donating more and, or, you know, as often as we can. And then we had a cake that day. We went to we went to the cemetery and uh, released the balloon. And uh, I don't know, maybe maybe it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. But I think it's just going to. I don't think it's ever going to be necessarily easy. Yeah, I, I saw the I saw the post of the tombstone. I didn't know you had just gotten it. Yeah, um, and that it took that long, but. Um, for, for me, I know that the year, even now, the, the May 9th isn't that big of a deal. What's a big deal for me is is May 
5th, which was the last day that I spent with Liam. He died on a Thursday. We The last time I saw him was that Saturday, and we text during the week, but I, the last day that I was with him, wow. we spent yeah. pretty much the whole day together. That's what I remember the most. I remember May 5th. That, that has a little bit more of a sting to it. My really good friend on February 15th, he, he came up. It was the year that uh, Natalia died, um, Grace's best friend. It was hard on Grace. Mm. And I talked to Alvaro, and he said that you know his decision was we have to start not being the family that lost Natalia, but the family that had Natalia for 19 years mm. and not think about the last two tumultuous months of her life. And he says that he'd rather remember the, her birthday than her, her death date. So that's right. kind of the way he handled it. Well, and we've got Will's uh, birthday coming up April 12th. And I just think that's always going to be a hard one. You know, I see when I see a little kid who looks to be about, you know, the age Will would have been or the way or the age Will was when he died, it, you know, that catches me by surprise sometimes. I don't know if you guys were following, you know, Billy Paterno. Um, yes. I mean, his his son's or I mean the memorial service was today uh, sad so Dan you're even further along than than we are how was your yeah I, your, I think it's I think it's interesting. it's interesting that I think we're at different uh, stages or at least justifiably assume that we're at different stages but I'm, I'm not quite sure that that we are just two days ago today being February 21st, might have been yesterday, I got walloped with his loss out of nowhere. I don't recall why, but Maura, my wife, had said something to me right here, up here in the master room here. And I was like, you know, damn, like, mm. I can't believe, it. I just can't believe it. And then I started, I started to break down a little bit. And I said to Maura, my wife, like, uh, you know, I think I'm just beginning to grieve him. Or maybe I never really have. And I'm sure that I have because, I, gosh, I remember some really dark stages early on. I think as we get older, our perception changes and our wisdom deepens by the grace of God. So mm. our grief changes. And I could tell you that my grief has changed more into hope and almost excitement at times, but not yesterday, of seeing him again. But Billy just mentioned before about, you know, being a family of having uh having had the child then having lost the child and i'm i have a theology class now that i teach it at a, a local catholic high school which mm -hmm. came out of nowhere and today happened to be the day where the holy spirit ran me deeply into the loss of francis because here we are in the lenten season mm -hmm. so much of uh forgiveness is woven through lent and uh and i told them i, I told them this is a story of forgiveness and not not that my story would would be their burden i didn't want that i want because we're provoking forgiveness from them by way of the story of francis which is beautiful you know it's cathartic that these uh youngsters that are only you know one year two years younger than francis was when we lost them these are high school students are you know bug-eyed and listening I'm finding that we need to assert ourselves in the area of gratitude. We need to assert ourselves consciously, assert ourselves in the area of gratitude, because if we don't, then the grief and the loss will creep up on us. So 
so uh, you know it's uh I, I think that's important for those that are young in the grieving process to be assertive in the in the spirit of yeah. because that's exactly what led to the forgiveness of the driver who killed my son who we forgave in court the drunk driver was the spirit of gratitude out of all that darkness five days after mm. the loss we took on a spirit of gratitude I, I took on a spirit of gratitude by the grace of god only all good things come from god and we're not god and when i took everybody to the table i said from this point forward we're going to have gratitude that we ever had francis in our life mm. that's when we agreed you know after everyone's shaking their heads and holding hands and looking at each other that we were going to take on we were going to forgive the driver and our whole lives change i mean i've thought for a long time anything good requires intentionality mm. you know if you want to be in better shape if you want to grow in your relationship with the lord if you want a stronger marriage if you want to be more connected to your kids or grandkids it's all it all requires intentional effort you just take your hands off the wheel nothing good happens and so i think that's really powerful what you were just saying it's almost like you take your hands off the wheel in this grieving process and you're going to eventually end up in the ditch. You've got to be intentional about gratitude, uh, about seeking the Lord, about whatever. But yeah, that that's really powerful what you just you shared. Know, we're football players, right? It's one yep. of the one of the things that make us friends here. And yep. as brothers in Christ, you know, we can look at the playing field or anything for that matter, see Christ in all things. But as our coach, our common coach or our coach that we had coach Warren Wolf would always say hit or be hit. Mm-hmm. Right. So you, <laughs> right. you got to step across that sideline and know yeah. that you better assert yourself. Cause you're going to wind up in the hospital. He would flat out say that. Right. It's good. Isn't that true? Isn't that what we're talking about here? Yeah. The, en- the enemy awaits to earhole you to blindside you. Yeah. So we need, we need to be assertive. And uh, when, when the yeah. game. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, that's a good that the best defense is a good offense right that's what yeah, exactly. we were told so mm-hmm. you know i always look to all right like the offensive would be asking god on a daily basis how am i going to love other people today how am i going to be christ to others today and that god would show us and there's i think a million opportunities each day if we keep it simple with you know acts of love and acts of kindness but the gratitude that that is huge. I, I don't mm-hmm. know who said it. It might have been. I think it might have been in the book "Breathing Underwater." That only moment by moment, you know, practicing gratitude will keep us from slipping into resentment. You know, when you lose a child, it would be easy for resentment to slip in. I think. I think it would be easy. And yep. my whole thing was, you know, and. My friend John Glenn confronted me on it. He said, are you mad at God? I said, no, I'm mad at myself. And he says, that's because you think you are God. <laughs> mm. That's what he told me. But yeah, I that practicing gratitude, and like you said, Greg, is we practice it. It's got to be intentional. And it really is, you know, making your mind up that I'm going to be grateful. Yep. And I was driving down the road once and i said all right i want to practice gratitude i wound up thanking god for the road the people that made the road (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. the air conditioner the air conditioner in my car you know just like last month i told carrie and i said i tell god every day how grateful i am for you but i don't think i tell you 
So I'm going to start telling you every day how grateful I am. Because Boy, that's good. You know, Just that alone is good right there. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit saying, why are you telling me? Go tell your wife. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny because I, I think I was sharing this with somebody in the last day or two. You know, there was a good long period where I was angry at God, not not about Will. This was this was years ago. And I might have already shared this with you guys. But um, I mean, I if you could read my journals, you would just see day after day of complaining and, and being angry. And um, and and I finally realized, you know, this isn't helping. This isn't getting me anywhere doing this, being just continually venting at God. And, and so I quit doing that, but then I would just pour it all out to Robin, knowing I think subconsciously God was hearing the whole thing anyway. Um, so, but again, it's just that kind of that idea that, uh, yeah, why don't I tell Robin how grateful I am? Cause you know, he'll hear that too. And I think that he appreciates that, but not, yeah. not my, not my grumbling for sure. It's easy to, I mean, if- if you want to look at and find something wrong, it's easy to find a lot. Oh, wrong everywhere. It's the default setting. The default yeah. setting is things aren't right. Yeah. And here they are. And uh, yeah. And again, it, it, it takes some intentional effort, you know, I think going back to what Dan was saying, just, um, you know, in being grateful and, and, uh, and it, it, you know, it doesn't come naturally. It, it has to come supernaturally. Yeah, I want to go back to just for a second what you talked about, Dan, that you felt like, I mean, you said that you felt like maybe you never did grieve, but that you had that what I now call a grief burst, right, for for Francis. Mm-hmm. And it was a grief burst. And did it last long after you were done crying? Did it feel better? or? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not the first time, of course, but uh, it did not last long. Each time it does happen, as much as it hurts when it happens, I feel amazingly cleansed afterwards. Hmm. You know, it's like it's like after a really good workout and you get the, the endorphins, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of feel the exact same thing as having like a long, like a really good long slow run or something. Uh, you know, you get into the pain cave of the hmm. long run. And then you, you're satisfied with the endorphins that follow. So it's definitely cleansing when it happens. But there's also the revelation that it's probably not going to go away. Uh, to try to understand the trigger points, I, I'm not even sure that it's worth it to try and understand. I think part of the grieving process, uh, uh, a healthy grieving process, is to let it happen if and when it does happen. And become Mm -hmm. friends with it, you know, become friends with it, Uh, you know, and on the other side is that, that hope factor is, okay. So you're feeling Dan as if there's two police officers are in front of you right now, telling me the news that your son was killed in a car crash. And that's, that's exactly what happens. I go right back to that dark spot. And that's, that's really death, you know, Mm -hmm. that's the tragedy, but it's, it's like the crucifixion or the tragedy and the triumph. And then what, what happens right after that, you know, what's going to happen is that, the triumph of the resurrection you just you kind of be resurrected right back to the light and the life and the way you know and then mm-hmm. and you come to know that 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 is the way and and you really as we said last time in order to know christ you know you got to look good on wood so 
it's really a, an honor. It's a painful, sacrificial honor to 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 know it and to feel it. But you know, it's it's all Christ, and uh, yeah. can't argue with that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, all the triggers are different. I, you know, in this in the school play that we did um, years ago, there was a, a, a the theater director um, really got the drama program going at South Fork High School, Anne Marie Schwartz. And so she was one of the first friends that I made there. She saw me. She said, hey, you're new here. Come to our drama club social. We have ice cream. And, you know, and I went. So I got to know her and she was a big Beatles fan and liked music and liked Bob Dylan. And she passed away oh, probably, I think, close to 10 years ago. Um, but she started the tradition of if there was a big musical and there were kids parts like the sound of music, um, the wizard of Oz, the lollipop kids, the Matilda had all school kids, this recent play we did. She would ask the, the teachers, the staff, you know, if the staff kids wanted to be in it, if we'd take and have our kids be in it. So Liam was in, he was in three different plays there, um, when he was little and, he, he loved it, and Anne-Marie loved him. And the first play that he was in, the now present drama teacher at South Fork was a senior, and she played the good witch, Glenda. Now she is the drama teacher, and she's carried on Anne-Marie's traditions. And she asked if any the staff kids, and I said, well, I said, I have my granddaughter. I don't have kids anymore, but I think my granddaughter would be in Adeline. And she was, and she loved it. So we did the play together. And you had to go outside if you had to go to the other side of the stage. I remember I went out back and it just hit me, you know, that Liam, this is a long standing tradition and he was on this stage and, you know, I started crying. Well, the next day, um, when I was in the wings, I looked out and there was a kid sitting there, a young man, but he looked like, uh, he looked just like Liam. And I, mm. you know, I had to step back and that, that caused a little bit of getting welled up. But I agree with you, Dan, that when I do cry now, it's, it's very, there's so much healing in the tears, you know, it went from, and I noticed that, you know, uh, a year into it, you know, um, that there was less agony and less pain in the tears. And there was a lot of healing in it. I learned when I need to cry, I'll just cry. Yeah. And, and, and it usually doesn't, it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't last that long, the bad feeling. I don't know if I told, I might have mentioned this, but, you know, the song Fire and Rain, really, I couldn't listen to that because it would just, it, it you know, the, the background of that song is, you know, um, James Taylor was in uh, the, the psychiatric wing or ward. He had kind of a nervous breakdown and he had befriended Susanna, the girl in the song. And I think he got out of he got out and I think he was in England and he got the news that Sus Susanna took her life. That's the background of that oh. song. So whenever I, I, I could, I couldn't listen to it. Well, we were at the beach, Grace, Carrie and I, and we went, we stopped and I said, I'm going to run in. I was running into the grocery store to get something. And the song was on when I was in line. So I couldn't not hear it. And I couldn't mm. wait to get out of there, you know, mm. and I, I'm walking back to the car and I got in the car and they Carrie and grace both saw it. They said, what's wrong? And I just burst out crying, I mean, mm. wailing. 
as soon as it started, it was over. I felt yeah. better. And they're looking, they're looking at me. And I said, I'm good. It's, it's good. You know, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, and <clears throat> that's kind of the way it was, you know, it, it, sure. it came out. There's, there's healing in it. It's, I think it's a good thing to do. No, it's definitely you know? good. Yeah, the heck with that heck with that big boys don't cry nonsense. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But let's um I want to just kind of talk to like how was it in the in the beginning? Because for me, you know, I was Liam's dad and I lost him, but I was I was still a husband, I was still a father, and in fact, Grace was in a very vulnerable part of her life. And so you have to like it was it was so hard. Grace tells the story that um, it was my birthday and she wanted to do like daddy daughter stuff that we always have fun doing. And she wanted to take me to the thrift store. We like going thrifting together and I like getting all Christmas stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Carrie would say, if you bring one more Christmas mug home. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love uh, that. So we would go thrifting and we went to the beach and we did everything. And I don't know where, where I was. I went somewhere and then I was going to come back and get Grace. And Grace was waiting for me. And she said she saw me pull in to the driveway. And before I came in, I was wailing. I was wailing because this was very raw. It was my birthday is May 18th. Liam died on May 9th. So it was still mm. raw. But somehow we made it through the day. But she didn't tell me later that she saw me breaking down in the car and it just, it, you know, it broke her heart. And she was, mm -hmm. you know, she was grieving. There was one night she had gotten a, a speeding ticket, I think. And she was so freaked out that she didn't want to, she was at her friend's house. She didn't want to tell us, you know, and she was, you know, cause I don't want to put one more thing on my parents. And she was feeling awful that way to where they wouldn't let her drive home. And, and, they called me and I went and got her, you know, so mm. you still function, but you're kind of on autopilot, but you're still functioning as a, as a parent. Dan, I know your story that you kind of got your family, rallied them together, took the lead and said, we're going to, we're going to practice gratitude. Um, there was one other really difficult trial for us is um, Carrie had turned 50 that November before and she always wanted to go on a cruise. So we booked a cruise for June. We we decided not that we decided to go. And we kind of we kind of did our best. I'm not in all the pain I was then. You know, there were some great times and good times that we had there that we managed to eke out, but it was it was very, very difficult to go on that cruise. You know, so you know, you still, but you still function but there's this invisible world between you and the rest of the world and you know i didn't fool carry i thought i was but i'd sneak <laughs> off to the bathroom to cry stick my head in the pillow and ball my eyes out i mean the whole trip you know so it was it was mm -hmm. hard you know it, it was it was pretty bad so, hey greg you're 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 the nearest to it you know yeah are, are you it, i'm curious that me you know i'm at 10 years now and uh and there there are some things I'd, I'd like to share about as billy put put to us in the outline today you know make it pressing upon being a husband and a father but 
Um, and I, I'd like to get to that, but I, I'm, I'm curious, Greg, you know, what are you thinking in the, in the feelings of the different stages that we're at and being the grandfather? Yeah, correct? it's, yeah. yeah. How does that question yeah, relate to you as, as grandfather in, in your life and your realities? You know, it's interesting because Will, you know, he, I think we probably talked about it last night. Will was just, he was the sweetest little boy and he just, I don't know, something very, very, you know, unique and sweet and kind about him. In terms of his language, he was, he was probably a little behind. Like, I, I don't think, you know, his, his brother Wes, I think was, well ahead of the curve when it came to language but will didn't say a lot and uh so i think a lot of what goes on with with how i feel about will and just this grieving process is it's not only missing him it's just what will never be like i never heard him say grandpa mm. you know he would hold your face mm. Um, or he would just lay his head on you or whatever. And, and, um, and, uh, I think Robin even asked, my wife asked Wes, you know, our oldest grandson and Will's older brother, uh, recently, you know, what I think one of his favorite memories of Will was, and I guess Wes had come to visit Will in the hospital at one point. And when Will saw him, he just said, happy. Well, I never heard Will say happy, but I love the fact that when he saw his brother, mm. you know, he was able to say that word because, I mean, he again, he had a pretty small vocabulary. So, like, Eric had never really heard him say mommy. And so I think there's just a lot of stuff with Will, yeah. you know, that Will never experience. And, and so there's a lot of you know, missing what will never be. So I think it's, it's going to be hard, you know, and I know you guys probably feel the same way about things, but uh, we're not going to see Will go to school. We're not going to see Will come home from that first day with his little backpack on and uh, you know, all that stuff. So it, you know, early on, I would watch a lot of videos of him uh, after he died and I, I don't really do that much anymore. It just, it was too hard to do. And I do, although today, you know, uh, if you have an iPhone and you open up photos or you open up like the, I don't know, the home screen, you'll see these videos that Apple, you know, your phone just puts together. And it's pretty amazing. Just some of the videos that they just put together, these, you know, um, there was a bunch of stuff with Will today and uh, you know, it made me really, there might've been a, there was a day, I don't know, probably last summer where I was just trying to figure out joy in all of this. I was watching a video of Will one day and simultaneously feeling happy and sad. And I guess maybe that's what joy allows you to, to feel. Mm. Um, you know, gladness and, uh, you know, happiness while also grieving in the same moment and mm. feeling sad and on the verge of tears. Yeah. You're, you're grieving what, what could have been. Right. Right. And yeah, and that's a different type of loss. 
it's missing the sweet little boy who, you know, just, just was so much of a joy and a light. And, and then also all these instances I know that I'm going to experience seeing a kid go to school or seeing a kid throw a ball or, you know, whatever it is and all the stuff that, you know, we'll never have with Will. Yeah. So, uh, and, and I'm sure you guys feel the same thing. There's things you're not going to experience with, with your sons. And, uh, I don't know if you guys ever taken the Enneagram. Are you familiar with it? Yeah. So I'm the nine peacemaker. You're the nine. Yeah. And so I, I want, well, I think we all do, but you know, I'm, I'm have this strong desire for internal and external peace. And so it makes me uncomfortable, very uncomfortable when like I see Robin sad or Erica sad. And I want, you know, I made the mistake. We were, we were out in California back in early January and we were getting ready to go out somewhere one night and Robin was sad to the point of, you know, tears. And I said something like, Oh no, don't do that. And you know, that was wrong. You know, I, she mm-hmm. needs to feel the freedom to feel that way. And mostly it wasn't even, I mean, I'm sure I was concerned for her, but I was also concerned for me because now my peace was disturbed. So it's really, you know, it's that idea of taking a strength to a weakness, you know, this desire for peace internally and for those around me. And I don't think internal peace is a bad thing to want. I mean, Jesus promises it. But when my desire for peace overrides giving somebody else the freedom to grieve the way they need to, then it's not a good thing. Yeah. And I'm guilty of that. Wayne Momblow tells a story. He has a book called You Don't Find Water on the Mountaintop. You mm. familiar with Wayne at all? He has, yeah, I remember listening to him on the radio when we yeah. were up in the Northeast. Yeah. Yeah, he has the Let's Talk About Jesus radio program. And he's in now he's in North Jersey. He was up in Vermont. Well, anyway, he wrote the book, You Don't Find Water at the Mountaintop. You know, he talks about, you know, the, the hard times and, and the valleys. But he talked about this art contest that they had. And that year, the theme was peace for the art contest. And he said that, you know, when you walk through, there were pictures of, you know, beautiful, you know, pastoral uh, scenes with a barn and a field or you know, a very calm ocean with the sailboat and all these different beautiful paintings. He said, but the one that won, when you look at it from far away, it's a rocky shoreline and the waves are pounding against the rocks and pounding up against the cliffs and the winds blowing and the rains pouring in the cleft of the, there's a um, mother seagull with two baby seagulls in the cleft and they're totally safe and at peace. And she has them. Wow. And that, that won the contest. The, the, the peace that he gives us is, is from within. And I didn't feel happy. I didn't feel joy. The first thing that I did start feeling was peace. Hmm. I was in turmoil and anxious and the world wasn't safe anymore. And I started Hmm. feeling peace. And, and but the pain was still there. But the, the I, I I started paying attention to that peace 
joy eventually eventually came i think as just as intentional as the attitude of gratitude is the same with hope and i think dan mentioned it before i had to start saying it's a lie that i'm not going to ever see liam again the mm -hmm. truth is i will see liam again because of the promises of jesus christ and the resurrection right. the promises of jesus christ are yes and yes in jesus and i will see liam again and i started picturing myself running up to him and grabbing him by the shoulders mm. and saying it's you it's really you you know <laughs> when my mind would when i would just set my mind on there i'd i'd start feeling joy you know yeah, yeah. whatever whatever's in our mind is going to fuel our emotions and it's not it's like if i were to say hey uh think about the number eight dan and then if I say, stop thinking about the number eight, you probably would say in the next thing, well, what are you thinking about, Dan? Well, I'm thinking about the number eight. But if I say, think about the number five, you'll start thinking about the number five. So then you're not thinking about eight anymore. So I started to really just mm. kind of meditate on, on that, you know, yeah. as, as far away and as fanciful as it might seem that, no, I am going to see Liam again. And you know who's going to be standing there grinning ear to ear? when Liam and I are jumping for joy is Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to be grinning right. ear to ear because this is the whole reason why he did what he did. Yeah. You know, what you just said is interesting too. And I'm going to bring it back to coaching, coaching, uh, whatever, mm -hmm. we'll say basketball. You just said, and, and it wasn't a huge part of your point, but there's a big point to extract from it. When you said not to think about the number eight, mm -hmm. You can't do the not part. Uh, you can't unvisualize the not. Just because you say not doesn't mean I'm not going to visualize the eight. So, in other words, let's say there's three seconds left in the game. You call timeout, basketball game, we'll say, and you're going to get your ball to the, your three-point shooter to win the game, right? Well, as a good coach, you don't say don't drop the ball because that's all you can visualize is dropping the ball because you can't <laughs> not do the not, right? Yeah. <laughs> You need yes. to say, look the ball in, get both hands on it, tuck your, tuck your elbow, do what you do, follow through, and let's win the game, right? You, we can apply that. It's the first time I really thought about it, so forgive me if I stumble through the verbiage, but I think you guys get it. So we can apply that absolutely to our grieving, right? So it, it goes back to the assertive factor. You know that in the back of your head, you, you can miss that three-point shot, right? You know that, but you put that <laughs> to the side, and once again, you assert yourself towards the victory to the towards the good but as a father and a husband as you wanted us to as you led us to today to bill i want to share something with you too so shortly after four, a couple of days after as i said earlier having the news and my family gone out to get their their dresses and their suits for the week i was left alone in the house i had a very angry moment with god and and through that angry moment i won't get into too much of the details of that powerful powerful emotions uh, you know, God, the father in heaven said, you know, Hey, Danny, he, you know, he was a gift. You have nothing to do with the fact that you exist, Danny, and nothing to do with the fact that Francis exists other than the biology of it, which I have nothing to do with the, with that either. Uh, and then, he, th th then Francis became like a brother to me rather than the father's son, you know, the mm -hmm. earthly father's son, he became a divine brother. And that's when the gratitude came in that I was grieving my brother we're both sons of Christ. When that happened, then I became much more uh, of a listener to my wife as a husband and to my 
children as a father. But here's the kicker. Let me explain this to you. It's very, very important that we become that if we ourselves are going to heal. But you don't do it for that because there's a problem in that. Let me back up a little bit again. When I was coaching a uh, coaching at uh, the local uh, Catholic high school, not, not that that matters in this, but a mother, a grieving mother came up to me. And I just was my first year. And there's a freshman boy who had just lost his father the year before. And he was an only child. So it was just him and his mom. And she said, Coach Study, I'm really, really concerned about Thomas. He lost his dad last year. And I'm the new coach, so I'm just getting to know everybody. And he's, he's really, really, really concerning me, you know, big time. So I said, all right, let me do this. So I, I talked to Thomas like the next day. I, and I said, Thomas, what's up? And he goes, oh, my God, my dad, my dad, I can't stand it anymore. I said, Thomas, you love your mother? And he said, yes. I said, well, your mother needs you. Mm. And he was like, I said, your mother needs you. Totally flipped him. Wow. So the boy who was trying to consume and absorb everything around him is now turning into a man, into a giver, you know? And it totally flipped him. But here's the danger in that. And, and this is the truth of myself. I flipped so hard in the other direction, which is my style. It's like, you know, moderation's an issue with me. I flipped so hard <laughs> in the other direction that I became such a listener that I became a bad listener because I lost my compassion because I didn't allow myself to feel the pain. The best <clears throat> listeners have compassion and they have empathy, not sympathy. Sympathy is beautiful. But empathy really, really runs deep because then you know what the person's feeling. And that's when I started to become the best mentor, leader, father and husband was when I started to allow myself to feel the pain so I could really know their pain and they could see my pain. Then I became when I did speak, I they became better listeners to me. Do you feel what I'm saying? Mm. So it's, it's, it's very important as as mentors to say, yeah, I know what you mean, and I'm going to show you how I know. Yeah, that's really. I mean, good. I, I, one more thing, as Greg said, I, and I want to just say this, Greg. This is so important that we talk. That Greg said that it, in the weakness there's the strength, and they would gain so much strength from me when I showed my weakness. They're like, "Oh, Dad, you know, oh, look, he's in the pain mm -hmm. cave too," and I love that term. So it's in our vulnerability that you know we. Uh, that we find our own strength, but others actually see our strength because just you're getting through it. You know, you're surviving through it and say, wow. Right. Right. Like if you go to an AA meeting and a guy, you know, one guy says, Hey, uh, my name is Dan. I've been uh, sober for uh, 24 years. Right. And say there's a guy in the meeting for his first time. Another guy says, my name's Bob and I've been sober for seven days. That guy hmm. is more impressed by the guy who's been sober for seven days. Right. Like, How'd you do that? You know, <laughs> yeah. the guy for 24 years, right? Yeah, that's good. That is real good. Yeah. yeah. With going through, going through the process, and, and it is a process, one of the wisest things my grief counselor said to me is I was like worried about Carrie and Grace. And he said, they're watching you. And when they know you're okay, then they'll start grieving yeah. carrie is a carrie you are, what are you on the anagram six six right so she's loyal she's extremely loyal the anagram by the way greg grace my daughter grace ate like she for some reason got very almost obsessed about the anagram she read the books and it was very she was very insightful with it she would say that i know that person's and she would say the number 
yeah. then she'd have them take it, and she would. She was mostly accurate. I'm kind of I'm a one, and I I think I lean four or something like that. No, she explains it all. In fact, I did a whole podcast with her on it because she so was my. She what was is my it? Like, what am I if I if I don't know what it is? Then <laughs> I don't know. I don't what know. It is. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna have Grace send me the link and I'll send it to you and you can take yeah, it. You? Yeah, we'll talk yeah. about it, it next time. I, I'll yeah. tell you what, there's two things about it. One, when you read the description of yourself, it is eerily accurate. And then I had a friend tell me, I don't know, a year or two after I had first been exposed to it, he said, and I forget who who had come up with this, but he said the Enneagram actually describes your flesh. Yeah. It, it describes how you try to do life apart from Christ. Huh. And I, and I can see that because like, even in, uh, you know, the, the, the peace, you know, it's um, rather than looking to Christ to satisfy those deepest needs, I just need everybody around me to be at peace. Everybody else around me to be happy. And let, let's not let's not be too sad. You know, let let's not move on. But um, I want everybody to be okay. And yeah. you know what? Sometimes that's not going to be possible, and you're going to have to live in that. And uh, and so yeah, I think the enneagram. It's very when you look at it in terms of. This is describing how you try to do life apart from God. Uh, it becomes really interesting. One of the things, so so Carrie was so guarded. She was guarding me. I mean, she was like, was so keyed up. One example is there was somebody, Liam's ex-wife, that she showed up at the, she showed up at the funeral. Huh. My dad, my dad, you know how my dad was kind of ornery about it. And Carrie pulled him aside and said, listen, dad, you can vent to me all you want. You can say whatever you want to me about, you know, she who will not be named. She said, but <laughs> do not, do not burden my husband with this. Don't talk to Billy about this. You know, he, he, he's not in a place where he, so Carrie was guarding me that way. Mm. Grace was just falling apart and she was grieving, but she was, she was watching me and she was, and he and then John said that he said when they see that you're okay then they'll they'll start the process you know, and I I saw that with Carrie it was uh, over a year later that she really started dealing, and talking mm. and and going through the process so I think you know we have to be whole right to we have to be whole we have to be good in order to fulfill our you know love and our ministry and our role as husband and father. So we have to take that time to grieve. We have to take that time to whatever it is. Now, one of the things that Carrie did was after Natalia died, then it really piled up on her, you know, because it was one of her best teacher friend's mm. daughter. And Carrie taught her. And she was like a niece to us. She's sleeping over all the time and gracing her. We did a lot as a family with, with uh, the parents. Spent Fourth of July's, New Year's, Super Bowls together, but one of the way Carrie's grieved was she built a memorial garden in our backyard, and mm. um, put put a little bit of everything in there. You know, her dad, Liam, Natalia, 
you know, my dad, our, our dogs buried, you know, we, in fact, we kind of built the garden around where we buried our dog, Ruby. And that's, that's one way that she expressed her grief and it was, you know, therapeutic for her. Um, Grace writes a lot and what she wrote this past, she wrote on Natalia's on the 15th was a lot of things that like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and, and, you know, it almost echoed a lot of things that, you know, I told her and um, she says, there's no way I can't, I cannot believe in God because God's the only thing that got me through this, you know, because a lot of people will say, well, why did God let it happen? You know, that's the age old question, but we don't know. Mm -mm. And, that, and that's okay. But I was open and honest about my grief and I got, I got help outside because in my silly mind, I was saying, I want to do this right. I want to grieve the right way. So that, you know, <laughs> I come out the other side. But I remember sitting Grace down the first day and telling her, Grace, we're going to be okay. I don't care what it takes. I'm going to do whatever it takes to not let this bury us. You know, I think one of you, like, there was no way I did anything. God did it all. The best way for me to describe it is God raised me from the dead, too. So I was down for the count. <laughs> Mm -hmm. but after what is it dan you said after the cross what comes the resurrection yeah so yeah, yeah. and we see that pattern in nature we see it well not so much down here but you see it all the trees are dead up there right no leaves mm -hmm. springtime's yeah, yeah. coming springtime's coming to the jersey shore baby and then summer <laughs> well you know look i mean lent means spring right i mean yeah. that's yeah so i mean here we are in the lenten season and uh you know, the 40 days in the desert and we get it, you know, we've, uh, we've suffered mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, no, the father in heaven descended into this slop yeah. himself. So, uh, uh, we, we, we completely get it by the grace of God and the gift of our faith, you know, all the graces that come with faith. It's, 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 it's never ending. It's absolutely, truly makes me chuckle to say it, but it's eternal, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing I wanted, we, we kind of, someone touched on it, talked about, you know, the joy. Joy is different than happiness. And the mm -hmm. sadness is always there with the joy, which is, which is hard to explain. But it's, but you know, part of the joy for me is knowing that I am part of this big, 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 big picture. Yeah. You know, a small part, but a part of it, a part of this beautiful big picture of God's overarching plan um, for all eternity. But I wanted to put something up on the screen, um, Greg. When you were talking about will and the things that won't be, there's lyrics from the song. This is from a song called Jesus Was an Only Son. The writer, well, Springsteen wrote it, and he says that um, he imagined Jesus talking with his mom in his final hours. Hmm. And uh, he says, now there's a loss that can never be replaced, a destination that can never be reached, a light you'll never find in another's face, a seas whose distant can, distance cannot be breached, right? So it's all that sad thing of what will never be. And that's the mom talking hmm. about Jesus' death, right? And this is Jesus' reply. Well, Jesus kissed his mother's hands, whispered, mother, still your tears. For remember, the soul of the universe willed a world and it appeared. God mm. willed the world and it appeared. 
So yeah. he can, you know, and he's going to make the new heaven and the new earth. I imagine that there's going to be some things that, I don't know, do we get to raise those that on the new heaven and the new earth, do we get to raise the children that went before us? I know. I don't know. I know. I mean, Dan said something interesting a little while ago, and I think about that, what my relationship with Liam, we're probably going to be brothers, you know, we're kind of be more like brothers, you know, than father and son, because he, he was an adult. But I, I wonder, I wonder. That's what, a really, that's a really good point. I, I, sorry for cutting in because you excited. No, cut in. That's huge. I, I like that a lot because, you know, we have the son of man, we have the son of God. We've got the divinity of the son of God. And we've got the earthiness, we've got the ministry, you know, uh, of the Son of Man. And in God's immense love, I don't think he'll ever, and and obviously his immense, uh, it's it's laughable when you talk about this, because of his, the immensity, the omnipotence. But our own God, the Father, the God that we revere, has a reverence for our fatherhood, because it's in him with his own son, his only son. Mm-hmm. And you said before, the joy is in the fact that you're an only child, Bill, and I'm an only child. But by the same token, Greg, an only child, we're we're of the body of Christ. We're we're called to be brothers, right? And uh, and to build this brotherhood, uh, you know, since the resurrection, the the ascension. Yeah, but I think I think we're going to be father and son, but we're really going to celebrate our brotherhood big time with our sons. I th- yeah. Well, you, you, you put me in a, a vision that I've never thought of before. Uh, I don't think God will ever, in his love and his deep, uh, I don't want to say reverence because it's just not right. For fatherhood, I, I don't think he'll ever take that from us because it's just been so real, prevalent, important, pertinent, essential, consequential oh. in our earthly life. Is the father-son relationship? Yeah, that yeah. wow, what you just said <laughs> blew me away. That God wouldn't take that father heart of ours away, even in even in eternity, because the father's heart, yeah. Well, he he, know, he he just the father himself. Yeah, and Jesus is so real to us. We talk about empathy and sympathy. Yeah, and how it makes us better listeners, and how it's healing for us we see God, the father in the crucifix with his son. So I don't think it would ever, would ever be taken from us. Yeah. I remember feeling anxious about what heaven's going to be like and this and that. And I remember John saying to me, Liam's going to be exactly what you need him to be. He's going to be exactly what you need him to be. When you see him. That's beautiful. You know? That's it. Yeah. That's the answer. It's heaven, yeah. man. Yeah. yeah. That's beautiful. I, I yeah. don't know if I had mentioned this last time, but I've got a, a painting that hangs in our living room. It's this painting in our living room of, you know, the really new Jerusalem. Mm. And um, it's got Robin and me sitting on a hill and we're overlooking this valley Mm. and all of our descendants are there because probably my number one desire Mm. request of the Lord is that all of my descendants would would be in heaven and no one would be missing and uh you know i i don't i don't know what that relationship will look like i mean when i think about you know what will my relationship be with robin you know with my wife yeah Um, Yeah, you know greg it's it's uh i I think about that too you know how many wonderful marriages where a spouse is lost 
and then then the spouse the 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 spouse still on earth you know gets remarried and remarries right I know. has children <laughs> i know uh, yeah. I, I don't I don't think maybe we give heaven enough credit. You know what yeah. I mean? Well, and yeah. that God has sorted all of this out. He thought yes. of all of it ahead of time. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, I personally, I feel like heaven is going to be better than I can imagine, but not unfamiliar. Mm. I think you said that before, and I love that. I, it just stands to reason. And we do have to trust our own reason too, because it's right. innately created in us. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. That, that whole point that, you know, that we, we can relate to it and it's not going to be completely out of our realm because uh, right. it, it can't be so far different. It just doesn't make sense. No. Well, and it's like, we imagined. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It, you know, the fact that, if if there had never been sin, if sin had never entered the universe or you know in, into mankind, what would we be doing? We'd be living on Earth with God. Amen. We we, we would. Yeah. I mean, the the command to Adam and Eve, and then to Noah later on, and I think to uh, everybody you know at the Tower of Babel, it was the same command each time: mm-hmm. be fruitful, increase, fill the earth, subdue it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so. That was God's design that we live on earth. Well, imagine living on earth without any sin or death. Mm. Like, I love to think about, you know, are we going to sleep? Like, I don't know. I mean, Adam was put to sleep, so Eve could be made. But will we need to sleep in heaven? And then I start thinking, well, God is, I mean, before the fall, he said, it's not good for the man to be alone. So we're obviously we're meant to live in community and we're meant to live in relationship, you know, husband and wife, but whether we sleep or not, I mean, Jesus said, you know, I'm going to go prepare a place for you in my father's house. There's many rooms. Well, are we all going to live in, I mean, new Jerusalem is a city. What do you do in a city? You live there, you work there, you play there, you, you go to concerts, you go to, you go out to dinner are we all going to live in our own apartments by ourselves? Like, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it does, that wouldn't make sense to me if we're supposed yeah. to, I mean, we're, we're, we're beings that need relationship and community. And so, yeah. 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 you know, I think, I think we'll be able to go out to dinner. I think we'll, I think there'll be coffee shops. I think, Anyway, that, that it, you know, it's fun, I think, to use your sanctified imagination to think about those things because oh, yeah. we're going to be there forever. Yeah. And it makes it real. And I think God's spirit does help us understand those kinds well, of things. Well, there's such an in- inclusivity, obviously, with Christianity in our right. relationship, you know, universality, inclusivity. So to include us means to include us, not right. a different kind of us, right? Right, exactly. We're- and exactly. there surely won't be any isolation because hell is the isolation. Um, right. And I, I, I do like a good nap. So I think the nap in heaven is. Yes. Awesome. And I don't think I'll wake up with, uh, you know, like, you know, uh, heartburn. I think that's. Yeah, no. Oh, yeah. will there be more inventions, you know? Yeah. Yeah. When we, when you start, Greg's going to say something, but when you start going, it's the, the possibilities are endless. Well, yeah. and I think, you know, Bill, obviously you have, uh, you know, talent as a musician and Dan, I mean, it's, it's just part of your nature to be a coach. 
I don't think those things will go un- go unused in eternity. Why would you still not coach? Why would you still not play music, Bill? I mean, yeah. why? I mean, is coffee sinful? I mean, uh, I can see us hanging not. out together at a restaurant in 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 New Jerusalem a thousand years from now. You, you know, and, you know, who we are right now. We're we're you know, three I can start here. to think of things like you know, in this realm, what does yeah. Like this chair I'm sitting in didn't just appear. God just didn't make this out of thin air. Had this chair get here. Well, somebody had to make this chair. Well, in heaven, are we going to stand up forever? (laughs) Probably not. There'll probably be chairs. Well, it seems that it's, it's right. Nice chairs, comfortable chairs. It seems like it's God's pattern to have people make things, not just to zap them into existence. So in heaven, Who's going to make the furniture? I mean, yeah. I guess Jesus could make a lot of it, but forever. I mean, <laughs> paintings, concerts, yeah. all of it. I, yeah. it, it's something to really be excited about because we should be. And yep. it's just like this: like uh, you reminded me of fatherhood, where we keep relating to the Father in heaven. Whereas the three of us are, we'll say, twin brothers. We're in the back of the station wagon, yeah. and the father's <laughs> driving the car. And we're going someplace we've never been to before, but we've been told it's a secret by our parents, and we're going to have yep. a really good time. And all we do is talk, talk, talk about what we think it's going to be all the way. <laughs> and the father's driving the car, and he's smiling and looking at the mother, and they're, he's like, oh, this is great. They get it. Yeah, you know, yeah. And I think yeah. that's what God the Father in heaven is doing right now in this conversation. He's going, yep. Yeah, the kids are excited. The kids are excited. Yeah. That- yeah. That makes yeah, me emotional. I love that. Yeah, yeah, the kids are excited. See, <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I love that analogy, mm. and that's what it's like. I mean, so we, good. Our father heart comes from the father's heart. He created Amen. that. Yeah, you know? yep. yeah. God is love, and any anything that is is of love is of God, and it's yeah. The the possibilities are endless, and you know, I love how we we start off talking about yeah, our our, our grief and. And then, you know, this is usually where we go, where God leads us. The Holy Spirit leads us to the hope because we're mourning with that hope. Right. You know, and that hope is a beautiful thing. When there was an experiment, and uh, we mentioned this when we talk about the eternal view of suffering in our curriculum, there was an experiment that they did, and I don't know why, but supposedly white rats their brains are a lot like our brains for some reason, but the most, the most experimented species beside the college sophomore on the face of the earth is the rat. Well, they Mm. took, they took these rats and they had group a and group B and they were the same age, weight, everything. And they threw them into a, a pool of water to see how long they would tread water before they gave up and drowned. So it was about three minutes. So then they took the next group and they, they threw them in. And at the three minute mark, they pulled them out and they said, okay, now the hypothesis is now that they have hope that they're going to be saved, how long Mm -hmm. will they tread water? You know, we always ask the question when we're teaching it, like how long and people say, well, well, they probably thought someone was going to rescue them one minute. No, it was longer than that. 
or an hour, no longer hour. On average, they swam 18 hours. They tread water <laughs> wow. with the hope that someone was going to save them. Maybe. So the hope that we have, the, 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 you know, what is it? And Romans 5 talks about that suffering produces perseverance. Mm-hmm. Well, what gives us that perseverance to go on after such a devastating event like the death of our sons, the death of our grandchild, the death of our child, what gives us perseverance? Perseverance will produce hope and, and hope produces love. So it's that hope that we have that, yeah, yeah, this isn't, that's not the end of the story. You know, this isn't the end of anybody's That's a story. great definition for hope yeah. right there. We were looking for that. Yeah. In our desperation, yeah. facing drowning and kicking our feet, we, we have that mm. hope. Yep. It's a great, yeah. great, uh, great story. Great analogy. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think we'll, we'll end there. What I would love to do, Dan, is I'm coming up to New Jersey, um, March 9th to the 13th, but that if I came over or you came over and we had everything set up, you and I sitting side by side, and then Greg will be in Arkansas, but we can all kind of, you and I will be live together talking with Greg, do a, do a show while I'm up there. That, that sounds I'm up great. for it. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll kick it around. Yeah. Um, but I think that's Absolutely. a good place, place to end. Oh, the last thing I wanted to tell you, um, Greg, and I want to mention this on air for our listeners. Um, Greg wrote a really um, fun series, um, kind of action-packed, but with tragedy and a little bit of comedy and a little nod to Coach Wolf here and there. (laughs) Um, The Lakeside series. Um, There's four books, right? Yeah, I'm working on book five now. Okay, good. I'm looking forward to that. But in the book, Max, the character Max, and this is long before you faced any of this stuff, Greg, right? Mm-hmm. You, this was long before w- w- what happened with Will. Yeah. Max lost his daughter to cancer, and he's mad at God. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, he's stuck. And yep. that's, the, that's the exact kind of um, person that I'm after with this podcast is, you know, men that are stuck and think that they can't grieve or they shouldn't or it's weakness that they would grieve and mourn with hope and find joy so yeah lakeside i want to give a plug for the book the lakeside conspiracy um, lakeside conspiracy is the first one and uh there's a lot of football in it dan so you would enjoy it cool and uh yeah it's it's good and um they're on you can get them on kindle amazon yeah and uh but that's the exact if you if you want to get a picture of who we're looking to set free it would be max <laughs> yeah yeah that's yeah. really true when you yeah. when you uh emailed that earlier i thought wow that's really true thank you again for listening to the men of sorrows finding joy podcast there is information in the show notes of how to get in touch with us and there's links to um dan duddy's page and some of his youtube videos. There's links to Greg Stutz's books that we mentioned and emails and phone numbers if you want to get in touch. And thank you again for listening. Remember, God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. His grace is sufficient for us and nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus.